one that uh, Laverne likes for me to preach because it's directed especially to husbands and wives, and she thinks I might be listening and might practice what I preach. So uh, I'm sorry she won't be able to hear it, but we're going to record it so she can listen. There's some points that would be good for her to listen to, too. <laughs> We're told, and I think we all know, that man, male and or female, have five different ages. There's a chronological age, the physical age, the intellectual age, the emotional age, and the spiritual age. For example, we'll just think of somebody and we'll say, now, this individual has had 50 birthdays, so chronologically he's 50 years old. But Physically, he may have the stamina of a normal 40-year-old. So, 50, 40. Intellectually, he may be 60. Now, that's assuming that we get wiser as we get older. Also, he may be only 15. He may have developed emotionally to the level of a 15-year-old. And spiritually, his development may not be more than that of a 10-year-old. So you can see how any of us can have different developments in our lives. But the last two, the emotional and the spiritual development, are the hardest to develop and the most important to a happy marriage. We can recognize the, the importance of maturity in marriage because there are always areas of conflict especially early in life, and we never get beyond those areas of conflict. Tension. And so we should consider it natural to expect to have to make adjustments in marriage. A bride and a groom come from different backgrounds. They have different personality traits. They have different attitudes on, on a number of subjects. And so when they come together, she's thinking one way, he's thinking another. And they have to work through these differences. It's just natural. The chief areas where adjustments usually are made, and I'll give you a number here, uh, and this is in the order that they cause problems. The first major problem where adjustment needs to be made is in spending the family income. I mean, she thinks it ought to be this way, and he thinks it ought to go that way, so they have to work through that. Secondly, our sex relations. Third, child training. Four, religion. He may come from one group, she may come from another. Social activities and recreation. Another, associating with friends. She may not like his friends, and vice versa. And seven, in-law relationships. Most adjustments are made during the early period of marriage unless there's a divorce. And so many people are not able to work through or fail to work through these adjustments and end up divorcing one another. And then they'll, through, they'll continue throughout one's life, married life. One study of 544 couples, 
studied their problems of early marriage. 409 of these couples had been married 20 years or more, and some had still not arrived at a satisfactory adjustment in some areas. So you can see that it is a problem. It was found that the earlier the adjustments are made, the more likely the marriage is to be happy. The most satisfactory adjustment for both partners, of course, is to be able to compromise. And we're not talking about compromising the faith, anything like that. We're talking about in the areas of opinion. I think this, or she thinks that. And working through those. Remember what Jesus said, and it's recorded in Acts 20 and 38. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Well, if I give here, and if you or she or they give that there, we're going to make one another happier. And it'll be more of a blessing. It's more blessed, Jesus said, to give than to receive. Now, differences will arise. And when they do, when both are Christians and mature, such difficulties will not cause trouble. They should not. Rather, the two will use the differences to demonstrate the love that they have for one another. Each will show loving consideration for the feeling and the needs of the other. Each will know that he can trust the other not to make mere excuses, but to be honestly and lovingly interested in doing what will bring the other the most happiness. That's Christian maturity. I like this statement. A happy marriage is one where the wife gives the best years of her life to the man who made them the best years. A happy marriage depends on what a person is and what he and she are capable of becoming. Not just what we are on the day we get married. We live together 25 years, 56 or whatever. We're going to be changing, capable of becoming. It was midnight that made this statement, and I think it's a good point. There is something <clears throat> far more important to the happiness of your marriage than finding the right person. And that is being, being the right person. Well, let's talk about mutual esteem. The husband and the wife, <clears throat> they need to respect one another. That's the mutual part. There's the joint endeavor. And this goes out of mutual love. Well, the Bible uses the word agape for the most selfless type of love. Uh, John 3.16, God so loved the world, there's that word, that he gave his only begotten son, gave him up to die. Now that's selfless love. And we want to follow and be an example of that. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes about love. Let me read a few verses if I may. We'll read verses 4 through 8. <clears throat> this is directed to Christians. 
directed to you and me. And this is how the Lord wants us to love. Love suffers long. In other words, it's patient, long-suffering. And is kind. If I'm unkind, I'm not loving. Love envieth not. Love borneth not itself. Goes on to explain, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not its own. Is not provoked. That's when we need that love. When we get provoked. But love is not provoked. Paul is personifying love here. Really he's talking about you and me. This is the way we have this kind of love. We'll respond. We'll not be provoked. We'll take not account of evil. Rejoice not in unrighteousness. Rejoiceth with the truth. Beareth all things. Believeth all things. Hopeth all things. Endureth all things. Love never faith. So there is mutual esteem when we have that kind of love. Ephesians 5, 25 tells us, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for it. God made the gift in giving his son. Jesus made the gift in giving himself up on the cross. And he says, now husbands, that's the kind of love I want you to have for your wife. The kind Jesus demonstrates. So that means we ought not to criticize, we ought not to belittle. Now, we can talk through differences, but we need to be careful how we do that. And especially we do not want to do this in the presence of others. This certainly shows a lack of respect. And happiness cannot grow, it cannot flourish in this kind of a critical atmosphere. But there are some husbands and wives, maybe I hope not many, that get into this rut of back and forth criticizing one another. And I have in mind a couple that we knew years and years ago, they were Christians. Good people, generous people, but they criticized one another. I was in a meeting in the, the town where they lived and they invited Laverne and me and Stan to stay in their home. We appreciated that. But the man went to work during the day and night. We went to the gospel meeting, but even in the gospel meetings, they would shoot daggers at one another. You know what I mean? And it was kind of uncomfortable being around them, so they would sort of separate when they would talk to people. That was better. I read about this groom and they were on their honeymoon he said to his bride honey do you mind if I point out a few of your little defects now the honeymoon is not the time to do that <laughs> she said that's alright you just go right ahead it's those little defects that kept me from getting a better husband <laughs> so you know you're back and forth I think most of you know that last January, Laverne and I celebrated 50 years of blissful marriage. Now, some of you may not believe that because Laverne claims to be only 39. But one thing that we've never done, tried not to do, 
is to speak and to belittle one another in the presence of others. Now maybe we got alone, that was different, but being overcritical is not good. A wife had such a husband, and she was determined that she would do her best to satisfy him for one day. <clears throat> so that morning she said, darling, what would you like for breakfast? And he growled, coffee and toast, grits and bacon, and two eggs, one scrambled and one fried. Well, she soon had the food on the table and waited for a word of praise. And after a quick glance, he exclaimed, well, if you didn't scramble the wrong egg. <laughs> I mean, that's going to the extreme, isn't it? Mutual esteem is what we're talking about. The wife should look with respect upon her husband's sphere of authority, his work, encouraging in church work, his authority and his work. And wives, let your husbands know that you believe in him, that you have confidence in him. Encourage him to excel. And from time to time when he may be a little low, uh, discouraged, lift him up. And husbands, do not speak of your wife's housework as trifling. This is her God-given sphere of work as a wife, as a mother. And so husbands need to support their wives, cherish her, and never deprecate her work, responsibilities, but praise her. Let her know how much you and the children need her. We're talking about mutual esteem. When we turn to 1 Corinthians, I mean 1 Peter 3, and verse 7, Ye husbands, in like manner, dwell with your wives according to knowledge, giving honor unto the woman as unto the weaker vessel, as being also joint heirs of the grace of life to the end that your prayers may be not hindered. We also can turn over to uh, Proverbs 31 and verse 10. And we'll read there that a good wife is described as far more precious than jewels. Her husband praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. And so husbands, love your wife. Honor her. Recognize her talents. Appreciate her efforts. And be considerate. Be sensitive to her feelings. We're talking about mutual esteem that we should have for one another. Let's talk a little bit now about the roles. God has given a role to the husband, another role to the wife. They're not the same. We turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. Let me begin reading at verse 22. This is addressed to husbands and wives, but it begins with the wife. Wives, be in subjection 
unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, being himself the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives also be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for it, that he might sanctify it, having cleansed it by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Even so ought the husbands also to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his own wife loveth himself. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as Christ also the church, because ye are members of his body. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I speak in regard of Christ and of the church. Nevertheless, do ye also severally, that is individually, love each one his own wife, even as himself, and let the wife see that she fear or respect her husband. Wives are addressed first here. Paul says, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you are to submit yourselves to your husbands. Two good reasons for this. One is for harmony in the church, in the, in the home. Harmony in the church. And the other is for the protection of the women. Women are subject to physical attack. She, need her, she needs her husband's protection. She needs her husband's authority and protection also at the emotional, the psychological and spiritual level. An angry neighbor bangs on the door. And when the wife answers, the neighbor lets loose a stream of complaints because some of the slats in the fence that separates their two yards has been kicked in. And your children have done it and the repairs are your responsibility. Well, the wife's reply is, I'll speak to my husband about it. Now, that's not an out. That is the natural and proper response of a wife who's living under the protection and authority of her husband. The wife is meant to be largely free of the emotional burden that comes from representing the family to the community. That's where the husband is to take his role. Wives and mothers also need protection from the emotional attacks of their children. Now, we've all been children. Most of us have raised, raised children. The husband's responsibility is to protect 
his wife from any abuse from their children. Should the father overhear the slightest tint of disrespect toward the mother or see the lapse of obedience to her, he should put a stop to it at once and firmly. The children should always know that behind the mother stands the father's authority. Larry Christensen, when he was a child, was arguing with his mother. And as she left the room, he shouted, You're a big dummy. Well, his father had come into the room just a few moments earlier. His arms shot out, grabbed Larry's shirt, lifted him up off the floor and said, Now, who's a dummy? And scared stiff, he muttered three times, I'm a dummy, I'm a dummy, I'm a dummy. But his older brother observed everything's going on. He burst out laughing. And the father could hardly suppress a smile. But Larry said that he never forgot the lesson of that day. If he abused his mother, he would incur the wrath of his father. But let's talk about companionship now for a little bit. Earl Nightingale, I used to pick him up on the radio when I was in the car in the Memphis area. I don't know if he's still on the air or not, but he'd have about a five-minute program. And one morning I heard him speak about what do wives want from their husbands? But his answer came from a special study by the University of Michigan. 909 wives were interviewed from various economic levels and occupational groups in both urban and rural areas. And you know what he said came first? What do wives want from their husbands? Number one is companionship. That came before having children or understanding and sympathy, before love and affection, for material things. Remember, God saw Adam, he just made him. He said, it's not good for a man to be alone. And that's right, Adam. It's just not good to be alone. I will make him a help me, suitable for him. I'll provide him someone that will suit his needs, that will supplement and complement the way I made him. So man has needs, woman has needs, and they meet those needs in marriage. That's the way God planned it. Psychologists tell us that man has basic needs, men and women, of course. One is to love and to be loved. And to feel that he's worthwhile, that he's useful to himself and to others. And as we just said, God has provided that these needs best be fulfilled in marriage. Companionship means having someone to share with. We have work, but we'll share that work. We have responsibilities, we'll share those responsibilities. And there are also pain, sorrow, joy and happiness, blessings. All of these are to be shared with one another. And without this sharing, how lonely life can be. 
And there can be no companionship without communication. Now, husbands, I want to talk to you a little bit here. For you know your wife has told you, no doubt, that you do not talk enough. Maybe I'm judging others by Laverne and me. <laughs> but Carl Bechine and Paul Thorner, uh, they present a marriage seminar, marriage enrichment seminar, all over the country. And they've recorded that, and we've shown it twice. I think there are eight in the, the series. I can't remember the exact number. Uh, twice. And invited people from the community to come. We've had a number of outsiders come along, and it's good. But Brother Bashin has made this statement. He says, husbands come home tired, frazzled, and harried from spinning around at work, and they wish for a direct computer hookup with their wives to feed the entire day's happenings into them without having to answer one single question. Well, man by the name of Dr. David Mace, he was the past president of the American Association of Marriage Counselors, and of course was a marriage counselor. He said that poor communication is the main problem in 86% of troubled marriages. 86%. I think if you take the paper, you may read Ann Landers. She's not an official marriage counselor, but she's probably counseled more marriages than anybody else through her column. She wrote one time that most marital problems stem from the inability of two people to talk to each other. That seems ironic, doesn't it? We talked about areas of conflict and tension that we'll meet in marriage. And then we reach a point where people cannot talk these things out without arguing. I don't know who Helen Rowland was, but she may have been a comedian from what she said on this subject. She said, before marriage, a man will lie awake all night thinking about something you said. And after marriage, you'll fall asleep before you finish saying it. <laughs> that happens. But husbands need to make themselves talk more to their wives. I can just hear Laverne saying, Amen. Even when tired, working hard and being tired during courtship did not keep him from talking to his fiancée and bringing her into everything, and shouldn't, that shouldn't stop after marriage. We're still talking about companionship, but let's talk about love and affection. That's a part of companionship. A pat on the back, a head on the shoulder, a bear hug, a kiss, Holding hands, sitting together on a couch, even tying a shoe. These all acknowledge the human need for affection. Husbands need affection. Wives need affection. Wives tell their husbands, or they would like to tell them, be attentive, be considerate, be affectionate all day long, and not just when you're in the mood. 
A good husband-wife relationship doesn't just happen. It comes from an atmosphere that they have created all day, all week, all month, and all their marriage. I don't know if you've ever heard Barbara Streisand sing the song, The Way We Were. It's a, it's a sad type of song. She, I don't remember all the words, but the, the idea is that the, they got married. And then gradually they just drifted apart. The way we were. We're not that way anymore. We've drifted apart from us. Well, could we get back together? Would we? Could we? She asked. Wives love the same kind of attention they receive during courtship. Now, Jack Jones, uh, I like his singing. He sung a couple of songs, and one of them is directed to husbands, another is directed to wives. And uh, so I'm just going to use his words that he sings. I don't know who wrote the song, but it has a good message in each one of them. One song he sings is Roses and Lollipops, and this is directed to the husbands. Tell her you care each time you speak. Make it her birthday each day of the week. Bring her nice things, sugar and spice things, roses and lollipops, and lollipops and roses. One day she'll smile, next day she'll cry. Minute to minute, you'll never know why. Coax her, pet her, better yet, get her. Roses and lollipops and lollipops and roses. We try acting grown up, but as a rule, we're all little children fresh from school. So carry her books. That's how it starts. Fourteen or forty, their kids in their hearts. Keep them handy. Flowers and candy. Roses and lollipops. And lollipops and roses. Then there's a song that's addressed to the wives. It's called Wives and Lovers. And the words go like this. Hey, little girl. Comb your hair, fix your makeup. Soon he will open the door. Don't think because there's a ring on your finger you needn't try anymore. For wives should always be lovers too. Run to his arms the moment he comes home to you. I'm warning you day after night. Pour the wine, start the music, time to get ready for love. Now, I'd have to change that last line to read, dim the lights, pour the Dr. Pepper, and start the music. I mentioned Carl Brasheen before. He was counseling a young man whose marriage had not reached the potential that he and his wife wanted it to achieve. And so as they discussed the display of affection in the marriage, the young man said, I didn't grow up in that kind of a home. I'm just not comfortable with an open display of affection. But Brother Bashin gave him an assignment. He said, every time you pass your wife, 
or she passes you in the home, say to her, you look like you need a hug. And then take her in your arms and hug her lovingly. Well, the young man replied, I just can't do that. I'm too uncomfortable with that kind of a thing. Well, Carl reminded the man of Proverbs 27 and verse 5, better is open rebuke than hidden love. And he repeated his assignment. Well, the young man said, if I did that, she would faint. Good, Carl said. You'd already have her in your arms, and that way you could keep her from hurting herself if she were to fall to the floor. So stay right there until she comes to, and then hug her again, until she becomes sufficiently accustomed to it that she will not faint when you hug her. Well, the young man laughed nervously, and he said, if I did that, she would know that you told me to do it. And Carl said, well, now, if that is the best you can do for the moment, just before you take her in your arms, tell her, Carl told me to do this. And she will appreciate the hug regardless of why it is done. Each one, husbands and wives, need to know how important he is, she is to the other. And we need to tell one another and often. How does a husband get his wife to treat him like a king? You know the answer. By treating her like a queen. Well, there are other things that we husbands and wives could hear. But let me pause and just ask a few questions before our song of invitation. Can you be saved in your sins? But the answer is no. The Bible teaches, Romans 3 and 23, that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners when we reach a certain age of accountability. We cannot be saved in our sins. Paul was told now, Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, washing away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Acts 22, 16. Can't be saved in our sins, but we can have them washed away by obeying the gospel being baptized another question can you be saved out of Jesus Christ out of that spiritual relationship and the answer of course is no Galatians 3 27 7 as many of you who were baptized into Christ did put on Christ and so it's by the means of baptism with of course faith confession and repentance that we are baptized into him we put him on. We have a new life that the Lord directs. Can you be saved without being cleansed? And of course the answer is no. We quoted Ephesians 5 before where we read that the husbands are to love the wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for it that he might sanctify it, notice, having cleansed it by the washing of the water with the word. That's baptism. And that's the gospel. Can you be saved without the Holy Spirit? No. Peter told the folks on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2.38, Repent ye and be baptized. These people already at this point had believed that Jesus was the Son of God. And they wanted to know what they had to do. They were told to repent and be baptized 
every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the two things, for the remission of your sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is promised to everyone who becomes a Christian. And that's when he's raised to walk in newness of life. One last question. Can you be saved without the blood of Jesus Christ? Well, no. Ephesians 1 and 7 tells us, referring to Christ as the beloved in whom we have redemption. Through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. We have to have the blood of Christ. When we reach that blood, that's when our sins are washed away. That's when our souls are cleansed. Romans 6, 3, and 4, or are ye ignorant? That all we who are baptized into Christ were baptized into, notice, his death. We were buried, therefore, with him through baptism into his death, and so forth. Twice. Paul says that we're baptized into the dead. That's where Jesus shed his blood. That's where we come into spiritual contact with his life-saving blood. It's when we obey the gospel. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and if you believe that strong enough that you'll change your life, repent of your sins, any and all of them, confess that faith before men and women and then be buried with him that's immersed into Christ, full not because of, but for the remission of your sins, we would encourage you to do that today. Don't put it off. We have a baptism. We're ready to baptize you. If you have a need to come to the Lord for anything, we'll help you if we can. Would you not come as together to stand and sing?